Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is Monday, June 27, 2016, and this is episode 170. My name is Jake English, and I'm here, as always, riding on the coattails of Scott Magnus. If you're listening to my voice right now, it's most likely that you're doing it on our website, which is birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can also find us over at the Baltimore Sports Report at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network, and you can find this show and a myriad of other baseball shows at baseballtalkradio.com. Make sure that you listen to this show on Google Play Music and on iTunes, and if so, please leave a rating and a review of this show. Lastly, you can catch us on all sorts of social media outlets. Um, I was uh, busy on Snapchat, the game I went to. So if you're a Snapchatter... That's a thing. I guess. We're okay. at Bird's Eye View B-A-L. And it's funny because if you want to reach us on Twitter, which is the best way, the place where we're the most active, you can also find us on Bird's Eye View B-A-L. And with that, Scott Magnus, what is your drink of the week? Jake, I am drinking a Billis Point Mango Even Keel. This is a Session IPA, right around 3.8%. Uh, not a heavy touch of mango, but definitely a good sipping lawnmower beer for your summer day. You just refer to that as a lawnmower beer? Yeah. I like it. I like it. I'm drinking a Nanticoke Nectar, the IPA, which is proudly brewed on the shores of the Chop Tank River in Cambridge, Maryland. Oh. A local beer. What's the brewery's name again? Uh, I don't know. RAR? R-A-R? There you go. Yeah. Way to, get, way, to, way to represent. It's got a backwards R. I was confused. Yeah, okay. All, All right. right. If you want to know what we're drinking, uh, make sure to check us out on Untapped. I'm at Jake E 4025 And I'm at M-A-G-8606. RAR. And with that, let's go ahead <laughs> and dive into... The medical wing. I'm gonna check your ears, check your eyes, find out how much you grow. Time for your checkup. All right, so let's dive right into it. Vance Worley um, had some rehab starts this uh, this weekend. Um, sounds like he might be coming back on Tuesday. I know they designated Asher Tolliver. Um, back to AAA. He's actually going to be having a, a baby in the near future, too. So, Vance Worley, you think he's back on Tuesday, or you think it's going to be another few days? This is so weird, but I hope so. If you took That's a dark, snap- dark timeline right there. <laughs> if you took a snapshot of us back in, in you know, March, April, who would have thought we would have been saying, boy, I can't wait for Vance Worley to come back from the DL? Yep. Um, you're absolutely right. Getting someone out there that can you know throw two to three innings would be pretty big right now for the Baltimore Orioles. Um, next in the medical wing is Caleb Joseph, who, as of tonight, is in Frederick, um, taking balls to the face once again. Mm, no, no, bueno. no, he actually did take a ball to the face on his first pitch. Did you hear that? No, but I, I that sounds like an improvement to me. It, it is definitely a better place for the balls to end up than in other locations. Uh, next up on the uh, medical wing is Brian Dunsing, who uh, went to the DL. Uh, really crazy scenario here where he was sitting uh, on his arm and just kind of, you know, in an awkward position and then all of a sudden was complaining about an elbow injury. You buying mm. it? No. No, I'm not. He did have Tommy John surgery previously. Was the chair the surgeon? Yes. Okay. Maybe I got that. Uh, and the final one in the medical wing is going to be Darren O'Day, who is still recovering, hasn't really made a rehab start or a rehab appearance yet. He was doing a lot of flat mound work lately. Uh, 
you still have to figure it's going to be at least another week away for him. Uh, do you think he actually gets back before the All-Star break, or do you think they just hold him out? I don't know. To be honest with you, at this point, they're riding high. I think he, I think he <sighs> jinxed just it. waits out. Freaking jinxed it. I think he, he waits until uh, after the break. I, I just don't know if I see them flying Darren O'Day out for a West Coast trip. Um I, I feel like if anything, maybe he comes back that series right before the All-Star break, but they might just say, you know what, we're not going to risk it. You know, We're going to try to get through it and give you as much time as possible to rehab it and go from there. Because the other thing, too, is if he can basically keep doing his rehab um, in the minors, he can actually do it during the whole All-Star break, whereas he won't be able to do that if he's up here at the Major League. So. And, and he'll still be fresh. Yeah. All right. Um, you want to go to 140 characters or less? Let's do it. This week on the Twitters. First, I want to look at a tweet from John Morosi, who tweets at John Morosi. At Orioles have AL's best record since the start of 2012, the first year of Duquette and Showalter working together. Now, here's the thing, Scotty. I'd feel a whole lot better about this tweet and its sentiment if uh, 2018 and beyond didn't look quite so bleak. Yeah. But, Jake, I'm here to tell you, there's a chance. You're telling me there's a chance? I'm telling you there's a chance. This comes from Dan Zambroski. You can follow him at DZambroski. And Dan, of course, is the um, inventor and statistical modeler for a projection model called Zips. Why doesn't he quote his sources? Yeah. That normally goes out there and puts a projection model out there before the season starts. Um, and as of right now, the Baltimore Orioles are predicted to have a playoff percentage uh, chance to get to the playoffs of 79.4%, which is the highest in the AL East right now. Um, kind of right there with, I'd say the Washington Nationals, which right now are at 86.5%. So all things considering, a team that started out in zips and most projection models being right around a 15 to 20% team, all the way back up to 80% now, um, quite the difference in turnaround from the start of the season to now. 79% chance? 79% chance. That sounds good. That, Is it good? That, that's that's pretty good, yeah. All right, next, I want to talk about a tweet um, that hit close to not home. So here's the thing. You mentioned on Twitter this week that suddenly in the world of sports Twitter, we had a lot of European politics experts. To be fair, it, just, it wasn't just sports Twitter. It was personal social media in, in general. Um, and it's just... Go ahead. They come out of the woodwork. They did. But if you're going to do... Politi- it's not like they went to American University, okay? <laughs> if they're going to do political references in sports Twitter, this is how you do it. And this comes from Joe, Joe Sheehan. Sheehan? Sheehan? Uh, at Joe underscore Sheehan. If the UK opts out, Europe can still make them a qualifying offer so that any union signing the UK will have to give up a draft pick. That's well done. That's Folks, well that's how you do political humor with sports Twitter. Next time, learn that at American University, Jake. All right, our next tweet goes into the category of yes. This comes from Matt Kremnitzer. You can follow him at Matt Kremnitzer, writer, editor for Camden Depot. Hansu Kim has a weighted runs created plus of 139 against right-handed pitching. Joey Rickard's weighted runs created plus against left-handed pitching is 144. That's how you draw up a successful platoon. This is exactly what we were talking about last year. The Orioles tried to roll out a platoon situation in the outfield and never were able to make it work. This year, the Orioles are making that platoon situation work for them. And it is beautiful to see. It yeah. is absolutely beautiful. And any complaints that we've had with Rickard and any complaints that we had with Kim are kind of falling by the wayside because we're seeing them in the best positions they can be to be successful. Right, exactly. All right, I'm going to take this next week, and this goes into the suggestions category. This comes from, uh, I guess, a fellow listener of the show, Eve Stein. Um, you can follow them at Little Seaster. Um, I believe that's Little Seaster. Little Seaster, yes. Um, tweet goes as follows. Got him. What do we do with him now, Bird's Eye View BAL? And it is a David Ortiz gnome that was given away at the Boston Red Sox game this past week. So... Birdland, we have a David Ortiz gnome coming to the direction of Bird's Eye View. What are your recommendations to do with the David Ortiz gnome? Tweet us back. Give us some suggestions. We're looking for them out there. What can we do with a David Ortiz gnome? Lastly, Scott, I like shtick. How, how cheap do you think Kevin Gregg would be right now to actually get into a fight with a David Ortiz gnome? I think do you it's think, possible. Do you think you could actually even hit it is the question. I couldn't hit anything else. So. That's true. 
it's we're not gonna give him a baseball though right no okay it's not a good idea go ahead i like shtick you like shtick everybody's a fan of shtick let me tell you about some great shtick that's going on right now uh camden chat good friends over at camden chat tweeted out about an ubaldo jimenez start and uh this is this is what they tweeted so that's a quality start for ubaldo jimenez i'm calling this edition of hashtag jimenez confessions a success excellent work everyone and if you're not aware this is hysterical basically the jimenez confessions is as follows what have you done to deserve ubaldo jimenez pitching for the orioles I think it's phenomenal. And if you're not following the hashtag Jimenez Confessions, you're not doing baseball Twitter right. I, I can't believe that you confessed that you felt that the Beach Boys were better than the Beatles. All right, first of all, you're a jerk. <laughs> Second of all, that's clearly not the case. You're a bad, bad man. Well, you know who's been a bad, bad man this week at the plate? Who hasn't been a bad, bad man at the plate this week? Matt Waiters has been Super bad and bad in the, the act of you know the kids call it bad, but it's really good. I believe he's lit. Oh, lit. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's, that's the new. That's like the Ryan Blake term of, of term of the week. I'm so hip. Yep, you are so hip. Let's go ahead and break down a little catching talk with our next guest. Scotty, let's talk catching. I've got catching fever. But before we go any further, we have to talk about Matt Wieters, which is exactly what Andrew Stetka did in his weekly post on MassInSports.com, or as I like to refer to it, just another Masson Monday. Andrew's a fixture over at Masson's guest blogger series, and he writes for Utah Street Report, and he's been kind enough to join us again. So, Andrew, welcome back to Bird's Eye View. Thanks, gentlemen. First and foremost, before we get any further, we need to do this. This is the important part. What is your drink of the week? Well, my drink of the week has a little bit of a, a local Maryland twist to it. Um, as you guys know, I was back in town uh, not too long ago. Uh, I just came back to Arizona, where I reside, uh, over the weekend. Um, and while I was there, I was introduced to my possibly my new favorite thing in the world, um, and that is Sagamore Spirit Rye Whiskey. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to try it. It's fairly new. Yeah. Uh, they just started distributing there, and I was mixing that with a little bit of ginger ale, so that's what I'm doing tonight. Yeah, we actually had some of that. Um, mildly impressed is the best way to go about doing it. I was expecting kind of like, eh, not that great. Um, but yeah, the Sagamore is actually pretty darn pretty darn spanky is the best way to describe it. Um, You're getting nods of approval here at SD Studios. Yeah. I actually did a mint julep with it um, recently. So uh, yeah, I was nice. kind of a big fan yeah, of it. Yeah, that would work. Yeah, that worked, that worked out pretty well for it. Took a brief sip of it from a shot standpoint. I was like, I think I could make a pretty decent mint julep with this and uh, went to town putting the mint in and everything. So, all right. So let's get to this article that you wrote for your weekly Masson um, article. Um, and you talked about Matt Wieters and the impact that he's been making on this, on this team so far. Um, and I, I think it was interesting, the point that you made, which was, you know, in this off season, no one really put a priority on, on Matt Wieters. You know, he signed his qualifying offer and everyone's just like, God, why did he sign this qualifying offer? Like, we didn't want him. You know, this is going to put us behind the eight ball. But it certainly looks to a certain regard for 2016 where um, a healthy return of Matt Wieters um, may have been one of the bigger moves of the 2016 offseason. Um, would you agree with that assessment or do you think it's kind of rushing to judgment um, based off a of small sample size? No, I would definitely agree. I mean, I think that, like you said, he was kind of an afterthought of the offseason after he signed the qualifying offer. And while it may look a little odd that he's making $15.8 million for this year, which is a, a big number, obviously, um, he's still an important part of this club. And the way that the team threw around money this offseason, he was, like, like I said, he was kind of an afterthought after once, once he signed the qualifying offer because there was still such a focus on the team signing guys like Chris Davis and Darren O'Day um, obviously, we knew Wei Yin Chen was was already out the door, but those were the, the kind of the big four that everyone talked about re-signing. And when Weeders kind of came in that in that back door uh, with the qualifying offer, everyone was like, "Okay, well, we'll deal with this the way that we'll deal with it." Um, and now that he's he's back and he's healthy finally from the from the Tommy John surgery a couple seasons ago, um, you know, it's, it's it's important to remember he's now just over two years removed from that surgery, and when he came back last year he was still getting healthy. Um, he may not have produced at the level that everyone expected him to, and, and now he's starting to kind of come around to that. He's, he's hitting the ball well. He's playing 
you know, good defense as he regularly does, and, and he's looked really impressive thus far. I'll even put it to like a six degrees of separation. It's kind of interesting the move made with Matt Wieters and having him sign the qualifying offer because if Matt Wieters doesn't sign that qualifying offer, he goes to free agency and the Orioles don't resign him. Steve Clevenger potentially is still on this team, and if Steve Clevenger is still on this team, maybe that Mark Trumbo deal doesn't go down, and a team without Matt Wieters and a team without Mark Trumbo for the 2016 Orioles would certainly make this team be uh, vastly different is the best way to describe it, especially with a Caleb Joseph injury, which happened during the season as well. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, can you imagine if right now Steve Clevenger and Francisco Pena were the team's catchers uh, rather than, than Matt Wieters in there? It, it, and, and like you said, the Mark Trumbo factor obviously plays as well. He's been uh, much more than the Orioles ever could have hoped for this season. It's probably going to be an all-star is, is right up there in the major league lead in home runs. So, um, you're exactly right, and, and bringing leaders back on, and I talked a little bit about this in the piece uh, this morning for, for, for Masson as well, leaders has always had kind of this stigma about him, and, and it's kind of weird to me that, that there, are, there are some people out there that actually label him as a bust, but uh, you know, since making his debut in, in 2009, he's been, he's been really good. He's been a really good, productive player for this team, and you know, th- there was so much expectation brought on him uh, with these nicknames like Joe Maurer with power that when he didn't turn out to be, you know, the, the, the so-called switch hitting Jesus that everyone thought he might be, he got this, this label on him as that he's, he's not as good as he was, as he was supposed to be. And that's just really not the case because, because the expectations were really unfair. Yeah. And I think that's such a great point. And I think it, it's even deeper than that because I think that people get down on Matt Wieters or high on Matt Wieters, depending on their point of view, in different phases of his game. And when he's not hitting, you know, they latch on to the fact that he's not uh, a mower with power or a switch hitting uh, Jesus and cleats. And when he is hitting, they, they talk about how great he is. And I think it's also the same defensively because I feel like the, for the longest time, when Matt Wieters wasn't hitting, people were just crowing about what a great defensive catcher that he is. And then uh, there are others that have a real issue with Matt Wieters' defensive prowess, particularly with, let's call it the reception of, of pitches. Um, you know, right. I, I don't want to use the word framing, but where are you uh, on Matt Wieters' defensive capabilities? Well, I like his defensive capabilities, and, and when you look at it from a standpoint of, in this day and age, there are not a lot of catchers. Probably one of the more barren positions in Major League Baseball. I mean, Matt Wieters, for all of his, you know, warts, is still a, a, a top ten in some, you know, in some outlooks, top five catcher in baseball. Um, he's a guy that that from from an all around standpoint, and and you're talking specifically defensively, he can get the job done. There aren't a lot of guys out there these days that really stand out uh, at the catcher position. So while it may seem a little silly to be paying one of them $15.8 million for a season, you still have a guy on your roster that can get the job done and, and can get the job done at a high level, at least a higher level than, than many other teams have. Yeah, and, and old fogies like us, you know, look at the money and, and it doesn't compute because of what we're used to. You know, when... when uh Scott Feldman signed a deal for $30 million over three years. We, we laughed. And now you look at what starting pitchers make and you say, oh, okay, well, that's a, that's a regular thing. You know, maybe $15 million for a plus uh, catcher will be the new normal at some point. Yeah, it's, it's very possible. And, you know, you just look out there at, at kind of what some of the other guys make. I mean, none of the guys who will be free agent catchers uh, this offseason, and that includes Matt Weeders, are making more than $6 million. So these are these are guys that, that you know. It's it's also important to realize what a grueling job catcher is. Um, you're you're back there for nine innings and and you're playing. You know some of these guys that are that are better at the job are playing 140 games a year. Um, now leaders won't. I doubt we'll reach that mark this year unless something terribly wrong goes. You know and and he really has to play. But um, but he's a guy that they've been able to spell enough to keep fresh. And it's just it's it's one of those jobs that's, that's really underrated in the game. It's important, and maybe these guys should be making a little more money. Who knows? All right. Well, you mentioned the off season. I, I kind of want to talk about that because you know Matt Wieters, of course, is in his in his last. Well, his, he only has a one season contract. Um, the Orioles are going to be going into the off season, and I guess the real question is, you know, where does the catching position stand for the Orioles potentially in the future? Or, you know, I think we went into last off season and we were like, well, Matt Wieters is gone. We're going to move on and we'll have Caleb Joseph. And 
some other backup catcher. Do we really think that's the best move going forward for the Orioles to basically say Caleb Joseph is our starting catcher? Or do the Orioles need to, I guess, reprioritize and say, you know what? Matt Wieters is worth that value, and maybe he is worth that 16 to $20 million per season in order to keep him around for another three to four years in order to give us the best shot at winning during these next few years. Well, it's funny that you mentioned the Caleb Joseph angle because going into this past offseason, before Wieters signed the qualifying offer, I think a lot of Orioles fans expected Caleb Joseph would be the starter coming into this year. And many of them, I would say, heck, 80, 85% of them were totally fine with that. Um, if you ask them that same question today, I don't think that they would be, especially because of the way that, that Joseph hit the ball early in the year before he got hurt um, and kind of the outlook for him going forward. I don't think you, re- I don't think you, you really believe that he's a guy that can carry the load offensively or maybe even defensively as a full-time starting catcher. Um, when you look at his backup, Francisco Pena, I don't think that's a guy that you see as a, as a, you know, a capable starter either. Um, for the Orioles, it, it, that's kind of what I addressed in the piece this morning. It's a really weird conundrum they have themselves in now because if you do want to bring Matt Leaders back, you'd obviously like to say that he's going to take a, a pay cut from what he's making this year. You don't want to pay him close to $16 million a year um, because that's not really what the market entails. Um, a lot of these other guys, as I mentioned, that will be free agents this offseason aren't making not even half of that. So if if you're going to look to go out and get someone else, um, you're going to hopefully pay them a little less. Uh, There's a couple of names out there that are intriguing. Um, Jonathan Lucroy in Milwaukee will be a free agent this offseason. Now, that's a guy who's the same age as Weeders and is very capable offensively, uh, kind of an underrated guy in my mind. Wilson Ramos down in D.C. is a little bit younger and and a guy who's having a really big offensive year. Um, These are are names that you can throw out there. Uh, Jason Castro in Houston is another. So there, there, there's a couple of names out there that are somewhat intriguing, but I don't know that, that catcher is the place where you really want to go make a, a splash in the free agent market, especially when you have a guy like Matt Wieters who is established in this system and, and came up with the Orioles. You might want to bring him back. Now, if they don't bring him back, the minor league options are are there, but they are thin, and they are also guys that I don't think you really look at as being ready anytime soon, especially for the start of the 2017 season. Right. And and that's the one thing, you know, you look at the catching prospects and you look at a Chance Cisco or a Jonah Heim and they both progress out and say, okay, you know, they are decent enough at their positions, but they need that additional seasoning. They're both very young. I mean, especially Chance Cisco. There are players that have said, you know, whether or not he could actually be a catcher because he's learning the position. He It was a position that he recently took up when he went into professional sports. I guess the question I would raise is um, with all this, you know, fluctuation in, in terms of catching, um, Chan Cisco's name has come up as a potential option in terms of trading Cisco for starting pitching. With the uncertainty within the catching ranks of the Baltimore Orioles, do you offer a prospect like a Chance Cisco out there, or do you think you need to have as much depth as possible right now um, with the uncertainty of the position? Well, I think that that all goes to how willing the Orioles will be to uh, dive into that free agent market that I mentioned if, if, they, if they do find a need to replace leaders. If they don't think they're going to re-sign leaders this offseason and they end up dealing with Cisco, they have to be willing – to go out and get one of those guys like like Wilson Ramos or Jonathan Lucroy or Jason Castro or or dare I say even someone like Nick Hunley, um, you know, and bringing him back, uh, guys that are you know veteran catchers who can you know get the job done. They may not be the, the best bats um, or even as good as, as leaders defensively, but they've got to be willing to go out and spend a little money on a guy like that in order to fill the fill the role. Because otherwise, you're looking at, like you said, you mentioned Joe Heim. I mean, these are guys that maybe Austin Wins is another. These are guys that are down in single A um, and, and will not be ready to, to be a, a major league catcher before next season. I mean, they're just guys that, that need more time and, and more development. And really, who knows if they ever will become major league catchers. These are all, uh, you know, we talk about prospects. These are all guys that are all just thoughts and, and, and hopes, really. Um, you've got to really rely on a little bit of luck and a little bit of, of fortune for all of that to work out. Sure. And the other thing to think about, I, I kind of think a catcher in baseball, the, the same way I, I think about uh, running backs in football, right? You can either have one stud or you need to have, say, two guys that are not quite good enough to be starters, 
but are good enough in their own right. And when you mentioned Nick Hundley, that's exactly the type of, of catcher I look at who could pair with Caleb Joseph while he was having a career year and look at a tandem like that and say, all right, you could cobble that together and get about what you would get out of a, a real catcher if you don't go out and buy one. But I think the Orioles are, are really in a conundrum of either going out and paying for a catcher, including the one they've already got, or finding that right tandem of guys that they can cobble along and get enough out of the position with the hopes that one of these guys in the minors that they hang on to won't be a, let's call it, player development problem like they've experienced with some of their other prospects. Hey, cobbling together players worked out really well in 2015. What are you talking about, Jake? <laughs> well, and, and well, and that's what I was going to mention, too. I mean, it, it did kind of work out for the Orioles. Once Weeders went down with the Tommy John surgery, Caleb Joseph and Nick Hundley kind of filled in nicely and, and were a nice tandem. And if you can find that right mix, it works out. A lot of teams do that. There are only a handful of teams that have a catcher that takes the majority of the, the so-called snaps behind the plate, um, guys that actually like even qualify for a batting title. Weeders isn't even one of them. He doesn't play enough. Uh, Buck Showalter does a really good job of, of, of spelling him. I mean, we're talking about guys like, like Wilson Ramos and Jonathan Lucroy, who I've already mentioned, and basically Buster Posey and Salvador Perez, who are you know perennial all-stars and guys that are thought of as, as the cream of the crop. Anyone else is not playing... Um, enough. They're, they're, you know, you have to have a decent backup catcher, even if you have a great catcher. Um, it's really important for, for any team, and, and I think that's definitely something the Orioles need to look at. And look, uh, Caleb Joseph, Francisco Pena, um, Nick Cumley in years past, these guys have been capable backups, but they've all been backups to a really good catcher in that Weeders. Sure. Well, hey, I don't want to give away the farm. Everybody needs to go out and read this article just like they should every Monday. Uh, can we do a couple quick hits of things not catching? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, there was an article I read this morning. It was actually caught my attention from Camden Depot uh, talking about how the Orioles rotation is actually, if you look at it, pretty average when you look at things, even though it may not feel that way. I want to ask you, what do you make of this rotation and how far do you think it can take the Orioles? Well, I can. I definitely think it can take them to a division title, which may sound shocking, um, but when you look at the rest of the division – who else is better right now? Not There's not many teams. I mean, we know the Rays have really good pitching, but we saw what they did in Baltimore this weekend. They they have their own issues. Um, I don't think that the Yankees have a, a rotation that, that is marginally better than the Orioles. I definitely don't think the Red Sox have one, despite the fact that they have guys like David Price and Stephen Wright, who's been outstanding this season. I think you'll, you'll probably see Stephen Wright fall off a little bit. Um, and I, I think on the other end, you'll see David Price be better than he has been. Um, and then Toronto, you know, Toronto has a, a rotation that's very much like the Orioles. Um, it, you know, it's, it's weird to look at kind of the, the competition in this division so far and realize that all of these teams are kind of similar. They all hit the ball really well. They all have really great offenses. They all have kind of so-so rotations. Um, the main difference that, that I think has propelled the Orioles to this lead that they have so far is the bullpen. They have a significantly better bullpen than, than the other teams. Um, you know, the Yankees obviously have a pretty good one back there with, with the guys they have, but there's, there's also been talk of them trading a bunch of those guys and, and they, they're players that may not stick around, you know, Andrew Miller and, and, uh, or all Chapman types. Um, so who knows if, if, if that's even going to last for them. Um, I think right now this starting rotation can take them to a division title. Um, it'll, it'll be remained to see if they, if, if they can make it that far it remains to be seen how far they can go in the playoffs with it, because obviously that's where you get into a seven-game series or a five-game series in the first round, and you really need good starting pitching performances, and you need to back them up every day. Um, but as of right now, I, I don't think that there's any doubt that they can win the division with what they have right now. If it, if you're saying, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, though, if you're saying that the Orioles can compete at the top of the rotation with most teams, isn't the top of the rotation mostly what you need to make it through playoff series, though? Well, you do need a little bit of depth. I mean, you're talking about, you know, if the Orioles were going out there today, they'd be throwing out Chris Tillman and, and, and Kevin Gossman in, in games one and two of a playoff series. And obviously we're talking way down the road and, and very hypothetical right now. It's still very early. It's, we're, we haven't even hit July. But, you know, you're talking about those two guys. Who are you confident in throwing out game three? I mean, I, I guess maybe Tyler Wilson, maybe maybe uh, Mike Wright. I, I don't feel great about either of those names. Um, Giovanni Gallardo comes to mind. Dare I say Ubaldo Jimenez comes to mind if he turns things around. 
It's just, it's, it's a big mess behind those top two names. And even at times, those top two names haven't really been that great. We saw it with, with Tillman this past start. Um, and we saw it with Dawson before his last start. So these guys, you know, none of them are, are super consistent. Um, but, you know, you do need a little bit of depth when you get into a playoff series like that. You can't just go out throwing the same one or two guys in every game. All right. Let me go back and talk about the bullpen really quickly with you, because like you said, I think that's the, the strength of the Baltimore Orioles, and it's been that way for several seasons now. Um, and the Orioles are in an interesting position right now where they've been without Darren O'Day for um, quite some time now. Um, and I guess the question I have is that Darren O'Day certainly hasn't had the great season like he has in the past. When Darren O'Day returns from the DL, do you move him back into that eighth inning setup man role, or do you keep Brad Brock in that eighth man setup role? No, I 100% want O'Day in that in that eighth inning role. I really think O'Day, you know, while he says he strained the he knows when he strained the hamstring, I think he was dealing with something else most of the season. I think that's what led to his, you know, we say struggles. He really wasn't terrible, but he wasn't Darren O'Day good. Um, I mentioned it to a couple of people after watching him pitch early in the season that he didn't look like he was getting the finish uh, and the follow-through on his pitches. And it turns out a couple of days after I said that, he went on the DL with the hamstring injury. It, it really was an injury. And I think when, when O'Day is fully healthy, and I really hope that he doesn't rush back because he needs to be 100% in order to do what he does, once he gets back, I think he's going to be back to his old self and be really good as Darren O'Day. Now, that's not to say that Brad Brock has, has not earned – uh, you know, the, the higher leverage situations. He has been fantastic. Um, he's a guy that I think should be an all-star, even though middle relievers don't really get that nod. Um, Brad Brock has, has been everything the Orioles could hope for him to be. Um, and, you know, it's funny when we talk about all of these trades that the Orioles have made in years past, got, dealing with guys like Zach Davies and Eduardo Rodriguez away, a lot of people forget that they gave up virtually nothing to get Brad Brock. Uh, they give up a minor league player who ended up back in the organization uh, not long after to, in order to get a guy like Brad Brock in the organization. And now he's doing what he's doing. Um, he's just been sensational. So I, I you know, and I, and I don't think when, when O'Day comes back, I think it all, it's all about matchups and it's all about um, just getting the job done and bridging that gap to Zach Britton. All right, real quickly, what do you think that the Orioles do in the, in the uh, trade deadline? Well, that's that's going to be kind of that's what everyone's asking and right now, and and I don't think the Orioles even know because I think they kind of want to see how the next few weeks play out. If they end up being a team who stretches this this four game lead out to a six or seven game lead, maybe they stand pat. Maybe they feel like they have enough. Um, if that's a lead that falls back to a half game or a game uh, come July thirty first, maybe they feel like they have to make a move. Um, or, you know, maybe you flip those and you think if they do have that big lead, maybe they want to try to really put the pedal to the metal and, and make a move anyway. What that move is going to be, I think that's anyone's guess. I mean, as we've spoken about ad nauseum with this team, they don't really have a lot of assets to give up. Now, I'm talking about minor league assets. They definitely have some major league assets to give up, but you're talking about uh, addition by subtraction when you talk about the possibility of, I know a lot of people have brought up trading players like Mark Trumbo and, and, and those kinds of things. I don't think that's anything that they're going to dive into doing um, because, you know, you, you're obviously you're hurting your current ball club in order to help it as well. And, and there's just no guarantee that if things are going well, why mess with it? Um, so I think it'll be really interesting to see. I, I just don't think they're going to make a big splash. If anything, I'll think, I think they may try to add a bullpen arm, um, kind of like what they did a few years ago with Andrew Miller. Not that they would get a guy of Andrew Miller's capability, but if you can get a guy who can kind of add a, another link to the chain to help this starting pitching staff, which is, has, has been the weakest link, um, and bridge the gap to the ninth inning, I think that, that would be an important part of, of what they could do. Well, Andrew, again, we we uh, cannot stress enough that people should go read the words that you write because just like uh, this particular time that you spent with us, it is incredibly insightful and we love everything that you do. Uh, please tell everybody where they can find you online. Uh, they can find me every Monday morning at massinsports.com. I write a guest blog there and uh, every Thursday morning at utahstreetreport.com. I, I do a, a, a little called Thursday Thoughts. Uh, it's just a couple bullet points items about what's going on with the Orioles uh, that week. 
And then occasionally you can also find me on Utah Street Report. I do a little segment called Word on the Street. It's a little two-minute uh, audio kind of commentary on the Orioles as well. I'll have one of those later this week as well. Um, and then you can find me on Twitter at Stetka. I'm always, uh, you know, sharing thoughts during games and, and, and not during games about the Orioles there as well. Wait a minute. Audio on the Orioles? That, that'll never work. Yeah. Not a per, no, not never, a perfect formula. <laughs> All right, Andrew, thanks so much. That's a really for, dumb idea. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously by this podcast standards, yeah. <laughs> All right, Andrew, thanks so much for coming on the show. We look forward to having you back in the near future. Anytime, guys. Thanks a lot. Well, it's time again for some West Coast baseball. The Orioles are set to play the next 12 games in San Diego, Seattle, L.A., and uh, then they come back home, um, which means a number of things. First, it means that first pitch will often start after 10 o'clock p.m. Yes. And the final out will routinely fall around 1 o'clock a.m., if not later. West Coast games. I love it. Ugh. Secondly, it means there's going to be a lot of cranky Orioles fans during the week week uh, straight through to the All-Star break, except for the weekend beforehand where they come back and play a three-game series against the LA Angels. And third, it means we get to whip out one of our favorite social media hashtags. Hashtag Dongs After Dark. Yes, Dongs After Dark. The best. That's right, people. You heard us. Dongs After Dark. Wilder than Dongs for Moms. Dongs After Dark refers to those home runs that excite us long into the evening. But I'll tell you what, Scotty, if the game gets just too intense, maybe we should all just relax since we're already hanging out, probably in bed, and uh, flip to see what other kind of movies are playing at that hour. I'll tell you what, why don't we just, uh, I'll get on the old Google machine here, and we'll, right, we'll Google... Um, pull it on um, up. <laughs> we'll, we'll take a long at uh, Dongs After Dark movie... And just see what the results are here. Yeah. Uh, ooh, there seems to be quite a selection. So let, oh, I am actually not sure we should read these synopses on the air. So you don't think our audience can take this? It seems like a bad idea. Look, this podcast is all about good taste and wise decisions. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, it's probably not a good idea. Good taste and good decisions. Yeah, let's go ahead and do this. There's no question we should do this. How about we uh, play some music to maybe set the mood a little bit? Oh, get us in the mood, Scotty. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to read this first one, Jake, uh, if you don't mind. A rookie looking to bust into the majors is thrust into the starting lineup. The team rides him hard, earning him quite the adoring audience. Eventually, though, the passion wanes. But you can still enjoy him. While he goes in and out of the lineup, Joey Rickard stars in Dongs After Dark. You know, that just might get the job done. You might not feel good about yourself after you watch that, but it might do the trick. Yeah. Well, let me let me just... It's kind of, like, kind of using the left hand and the right hand, right? The stranger. Yeah. Let me go ahead and, and read you this one. This I'm kind of excited about this one. I bet you are. <laughs> in this Assen production, a manager is at his wit's end to prove that his club can perform where it counts. Pushing deeper and deeper into his bullpen, he dry humps his way through trying to get his starters to extend themselves. Trying desperately not to blow out his bullpen, Buck Showalter stars in Dongs After Dark. All right, I really like this one because this next one isn't all Chinese, so I had to use Google Translate to get it to work out okay. He was a rising KBO star who finally caught on with a major league club. Unsure how he could handle his balls and strikes, his manager had him riding the pine. That's okay. Kim likes to watch. Introducing Hunsu Kim, who brings a little Asian persuasion to the team in Dongs After Dark. I'm not sure if Kim likes to watch, but yeah, I think that Google Translate was off. But go ahead. You want to take the fourth one? Yeah, this one, though, is weird. Um, it's kind of short. It just says, um, wow, it just says this. 
Chris Davis is a beautiful man. Dongs after dark. It's got me enticed. I'm interested. All right, one more for you, Jake. A father struggles to rise to the adversity to support his family and to feed his baby. He's thrust into the spotlight and thrives in the role that he dreamed about his whole career. However, an errant ball takes out one of his, and he's forced to the sideline. Caleb Joseph fights to return in Dongs After Dark. I like this. Yeah. Dongs After Dark is exciting. Yeah. It's exciting baseball. But, uh, Scotty, it's probably a good idea to stop that. Um, Do us a favor, Bird's Eye View listeners. We really need your best Dongs After Dark synopses. You can do this in a number of ways. Look, you can either write up a little synopses of, of, um, you know, entendre after entendre after entendre or you can uh you can share that with us uh by commenting on these show notes you can also mail it to us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com or as the games go on feel free to send us a synopsis of whatever's going on in the best orioles uh inspired adult film synopsis you can think of with the hashtag dongs after dark all right. Well, with that, I think it's time we get uh, we put on some mask and we play some fantasy now. So uh, let's play some uh, let's play some fantasy boss and see who won last week. Did we just go from Dongs After Dark to Fantasy Boss? I believe we did. Nice. That's right, Scotty. Dust off the Gwen Stefani and Brian Setzer. I am again the boss, but it gets more complicated than that. Coming down from a 4-2 deficit, I have tied it up this week because, frankly, I cheated. You cheated. Immensely. Last week, we discussed that we would uh, take a look at who collected the most hits. Uh, I took Jones. You took Davis. I won 13-9. We picked the first and third spot, by the way, so that's pretty good for both of us, actually. i got to be honest. We're not terrible. Well, you're not terrible yeah. at this, and I have my moments. Except when you pick, like, stolen bases, and our team gets no stolen bases over an entire week. But um, <clears throat> pick better categories. But go ahead. Keep continuing. In addition to picking an actual category, I threw out the new concept of wild cards. Oh, God. And so I picked out a, a couple of weird stats that I, I figured, hey, who's the next Oriole that's going to hit a triple? Who's right. the next Oriole that's going to go eight innings? Scotty almost clicked so on the close. eight innings. And I got to be honest, I was kind of rooting for like, Kevin, Kevin Gossman, yeah, to uh, to come short. And he did. But I clicked on um, the next Grand Slam, which is Chris Davis. So, Scott, we do have a number of wild cards still out there. Yes. If it's all right with you, I would like to continue with this format. But I think since you got burned by it, you should get to pick the next wild card. Sure. So I was thinking about this, and the whole topic of this podcast pretty much has been dongs. But I want to really exemplify on it because I really want a big, meaty dong for the next wild card. So I want to do... A stat cast home run distance of 450 plus. Who's going to hit the next 450 foot plus home run for the Baltimore Orioles? Okay, so there are a couple of clear, a couple of clear obvious choices. Yes. I'm going to go Johnny Scope. I think that's a great choice. Johnny Scope definitely has some power to him. If I'm going, if I'm not going to go Johnny Scope, I'm going to go with the next best thing. I'm going to go Mark Trumbo who I think is beginning to heat up again. I think Mark Trumbo is going to put up some pop numbers in July and August. Um, Mark Trumbo is going to be my pick for 450 plus because he is a strong, strong man. He is a strong, strong man. And I'm not taking anything away from, from Trumbo. Yeah. I got to tell you though, if it not, if it was not for scope, I probably would have gone with Jones because I could, I could see that Jones, you know, doesn't hit his home runs as often, but I feel like he more frequently mashes, uh, those just deep, deep bombs. So yeah. the next wild card is, 450 plus home run yes you're going with uh you're going with trumbo i'm going with scope all right you're the uh i'm sorry you're the loser this week I so am the loser do you have a, a standard category for us I, I i do have a standard category for us this week um what's interesting to me this week is how well 
our pitching staff is going to go up against uh, go against the Padres and stuff like that. Jake, what I'm looking for is which pitcher is going to have the highest strikeout count. So who's going to have the most amount of strikeouts? I got to be honest, when you were talking about interleague ball, I thought you were going to ask me which pitcher was going to get the most hits. No, I'm Uh, looking for pitchers that are going to have the most amount of strikeouts. Jake, to put in perspective, last week, the Orioles starting pitchers had one of their worst weeks of all time in terms of strikeout per nine. They were all the way down to like 6.3, where on average, they walk right right around like 7.5 in terms of K per nine. So, Jake, I think the Orioles starters are going to have a rebound this week in terms of Ks per nine. But who do you think is going to have the best count? Yeah, see, this is a trick question because it's not K per nine. So it's, it's it, not. It's it's both a matter of longevity, correct, as much as it is uh, the strikeout. So I think first and foremost we need to throw out the end of the rotation. So it's not going to be Abaldo Jimenez. It, it is not. I don't believe that it is going to be Ivan Gallardo. I would say that it's not going to be Tyler Wilson because when he goes deep, which he's done once, let's mm-hmm. say that. I don't think he's a strikeout guy. So basically, you're asking me, do you think Tillman or Gosman is going to pile up the most strikeouts? Correct. I am I am indeed asking that question. I'm going to go Gauze. All right. I am going to go Grandmaster Tilly on you and just see what happens. Um, but yeah, I, I, please I, don't call him that again. I, I think it's interesting because, like we talked about, we've got five games coming up the 28th, the 29th, 30th, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. So I think it could easily be one of those starters. Although I'm surprised you didn't potentially dabble into the relief I'm surprised you didn't go with a zach Britton or a brad brock in, in this scenario but i think we both went with starters because we feel like there's a better option there but overall the relievers obviously have a better k per nine it's just a question of how many innings are they going to get in there where they can actually get it well i think with with zach Britton, it's clear that he's probably going to have the opportunity to get the most strikeouts but it also depends on it not being a laugher right. and being being a safe situation uh, Brock probably would have been a good a good guy to go with, um, but even Dylan other, Bundy actually recently has been doing pretty well from a strikeout standpoint. Your point of of really stressing the multiple inning, inning reliever is a is a good one. Um, I, I'm I'm not. But you're still going to go yet. with Gossman. I'm not there yet. Yeah. All right, so you're going Gossman. I'm going Chris Tilly. We will see who owns it in terms of strikeouts. Look, not not for points or Grandmaster Tilly. Not not for points. Yes, I want to clearly say this is this is not fantasy boss related. Gotcha. Do you think any of our pitchers get a hit? Uh, yes, I do. Okay. Which which one? I think is going to get a hit. <laughs> I'm almost positive is going to get a hit. In fact, I'll even wager you this. I think is going to get an extra base hit. I'm kind of disappointed that uh, Zach Britton is our closer because he could actually hit. Yeah. And it'd be cool to see him get, get some swings in. Well, maybe that pitcher's home run derby will happen one day. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, let's get around to the lovely totals. Let's get into the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right. It's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to go ahead and get started, as I so often do, as I bow to the quality of Scott Magnus's rants. My good is going to surprise some people because I've been beating him up all year. I'm going to go with Pedro Alvarez. And look, he only had 13 at-bats this week, but this is another case of supporting cast stepping up to make big contributions. And when you can get that while your A-team is uh, firing on all cylinders— this is a, quote, good thing, end quote, TM. Look, his weighted runs created plus was 219 and his Woba was 499, but it really came down to the fact that he had two homers and had a timely single to drive in runs. I, as I have said, have been incredibly critical of him, but Alvarez was good this week and he's playing an important role. Okay. That was a decent selection, but not the best selection. The good for this week has to go to Adam Jones who was absolutely in fuego, posting a 700 slugging percentage. But more importantly, at that top of the lineup, 
a 469 on base percentage. And the fact that Adam Jones was getting on at that clip really set up this offense for the entire series that they were playing in, continuing to put pressure on pitchers, having to pitch out the stretch and having running runners on base is a critical aspect for this Orioles offense. Hitting home runs with men on base is a critical aspect for this team. Adam Jones is finally healthy. We've seen it both at the plate. We've seen it in the field. Adam Jones, we talked about this early in the season. We thought that maybe he had hit that point where eventually you were going to see that decline. Adam Jones certainly doesn't look like he's that player in decline. If anything, he looks like the Adam Jones of old, and it's glad to see him back again. And I look forward to the rest of the season with him. Here's the other thing about Adam Jones. What we're seeing right now is that Adam Jones is good at a lot of things. Yeah. Yes, he hits the ball really hard, and that's what he tries to do most of the time that he's out there. But in, in times of yore, when he was struggling— he would drop down a bunt to try to get a base hit to get himself going. Yeah. It's really interesting now that he's in the leadoff spot to see him yesterday or the other day, he dropped a bunt for us trying to get a hit, yeah. but also trying to advance a runner. If Adam Jones is going to age gracefully, he's mashing the ball now. But if he can continue to be good at multiple things, that's a great sign for Adam Jones' career and the Orioles. Yeah. 6.5% uh, walk rate this year compared to. His career average of 4.4, that's an immense change for Adam Jones. Absolutely. And I talked about this in a blog post I wrote about things being good in Birdland. It's great to see. All right, uh, Jake, what's your bad for the week? My bad is all the talk about the historic home run June the Orioles are having. Look, I don't care. I don't care about how many home runs the Orioles are hitting. I don't care who's hit the most home runs in a single month. I don't care who's hit the most home runs in a single season. That is not a record that interests me even a little bit. You come back and talk to me in October as to where the Orioles stand and what they did with themselves, and that is something that matters to me. But I don't want to spend a single moment hoping that the Orioles hit more home runs so that they can be on some list for a year or two until some other club does it. Look, the Orioles are hitting home runs, but most importantly, they're winning. So for me, the bad this week was all the talk about the historic June that the Orioles may or may not have. Jake, I've got a confession for my bad. Is it a Jimenez confession? Because I'm all ears. It, it kind of is a pseudo Jimenez confession. So yes, nice. I'm making a confession. Actually, this is kind of a throwback to when the OBP podcast used to do their confessions at the end of their show. We miss you, OBP. Come yeah. back. So my confession is I've been doing a lot of scoreboard watching this week, and I don't know why I'm doing it, but it feels like it's important right now that the Orioles are separating themselves from the Boston Red Sox. And it makes absolutely no sense in the world. There's been multiple nights where I'm like, I'm just going to go check to see if the Red Sox lose because I really want to see that division happen between the Orioles and the Red Sox. And I don't really care about the rest of the teams. I'm really just more concerned about the Red Sox division. And it makes no sense. Like I should be equally concerned about the Blue Jays. So Jake, I'm making confession. It's near the end of June and I'm already scoreboard watching. This cannot be good for my mental you know, paradigm to a certain regard of getting into August and September, help me walk me off this ledge. Tell me to stop doing this. No, I do not accept your bad. I do not. And you know what? You teased me a couple weeks ago when I tried to make a similar point. I enjoy watching baseball at large a lot more when the Orioles are engaged and driving than I did when they were a laughingstock. When your team is in the thick of things and the games matter, the other games that are being played in your division matter, too. That's a heck of a lot more fun as a baseball fan than it was. So, no, I do not accept your bad, sir. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. You're on notice. Me. I'm on notice. That's fine. <laughs> Let me go to my ugly, and then I'll, I'll give you some, some time for yours. I'm going to go to Michael Givens. Mm. And, look, Michael Givens is struggling. He's given up earned runs in three of his last four appearances. And I know that we're only supposed to grade uh, these good, bad, and uglies a week at a time. But I wonder if Givens needs to be given some time in the International League to fin- figure some things out. Maybe even once O'Day comes back. And I understand that the likes of, of Tolliver and Dunsing don't really belong in the major leagues. But we've seen Givens when he's good. We've seen Givens when he's really good. And he's not that very recently. Givens appeared in Tuesday's games against, uh, game against the Padres, and he gave up four earned runs and hasn't been seen since. He couldn't hold a 6-3 lead. He gave up a double, a single, a single, and a walk followed by a walk. And that, my friend, is ugly. It is ugly when those things build on one another to the point where 
if you only get uh, if you only make an appearance once a week, that means something. That means the manager doesn't want to call your number because you haven't been getting it done. And this team that has a very shaky uh, starting rotation, this team that needs to be well, not perfect, but pretty darn good in the mid to late part of the game, needs an effective Michael Givens or somebody else that can get it done. So for this week, my ugly, Michael Givens. Jake, I think that was an excellent selection, by the way. Really? Yeah. Okay. But I've got an issue with it. Lay it on me. Jake, my ugly for this week is there is no ugly this week. Orioles baseball was near perfection this week. And Jake, like you pointed out in your blog post, this is a magical time to be an Orioles fan. If any Orioles fan would have been told at the end of June, your team would be playing at a 600 winning percentage, you would have laughed and said, you need to go get drug tested. This is a magical season, eerily similar to the 2014 and 2012 season. We were talking about this weekend, you and me, Jake, that even years are something that has been very odd for the Baltimore Orioles. But this has that same flair, that same sense of the dramatic for the, be, the the team being able to come back from, come from behind multiple times. It never feels like the Orioles are completely out of a game, no matter how bad it gets. You always say, there's a chance they could come back in here. This is a special team. This is a special year. I'm not saying that it's going to culminate in anything. I'm not even saying it's going to get into the playoffs. All I'm saying is there's nothing ugly with Orioles baseball right now, and you should take that and savor it. So I went to the game on Saturday. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Let me tell you something. Scotty and I have Sunday tickets. We go every Sunday. And look, it's a lot of fun. We love our Sunday tickets. We've had it for uh, several years now. That Saturday night crowd was electric. It was a lot of fun. And the Orioles were down early. Yeah. And the crowd was never out of it. And neither were the Orioles. And and to your point about this even year thing, look, yeah. we're we're a minor version of the Giants at this point. Twenty twelve, right? The Orioles make the ALDS and they lose. Twenty fourteen, the Orioles make the playoffs, they win the ALDS, they lose in the ALCS. So let me just lay this on you, Scotty. Doesn't it seem to make sense? That this year here in 2016, the Orioles would win the ALCS, make it to the World Series, but not make it to the promised land. And then in 2018, the next even year, right before they have to tear everything down because the likes of Manny and Tillman and Jones and everybody else, including Showalter and Duquette, have to leave, the Orioles make it to the next level of a world championship. Isn't that a story worth writing? It is a story worth writing. I think I'd rather just win it all this year if possible, but that's okay. It does seem that there's something with orange and black teams during those even years. All right, Jake, um, why don't I play some music for you, and you can go ahead and uh, you can kind of go blow this safe. So, Scotty, we've been doing this podcast for a little bit now. Yeah, we have. This is uh, this is season four for us. Is that right? Five, isn't it? Our fifth 12, season. 13, 14, 15, 16. Yeah, yeah this so is our sixth season. Fifth season. Fifth season. Fifth, fifth season. Scotty, I think it's time that we start taking ourselves more seriously. No. All right, we need to act like we know what we're doing. We need to act like a legitimate source for Orioles news, notes, opinion, and analysis. And because of that, Scotty, I brought something that's very important. Ooh. It's show and tell time. Scott, in my hand... I have the Mars Circular. Oh, nice. And so... The going out of business Mars Circular. We are going to take some time here on an Orioles podcast uh, where you have tuned in to hear about uh, the Orioles, and I'm going to give you my five top selections Okay. for the Mars Circular. So... Um, I see Vidalia onions are at 89 cents. That hey, hey, like hey. That's deal. not the top five. Okay. You back off. Sorry. I was Tom Davising you there for a second. I'm going to start, first and foremost, right in the middle of of the front page of the circular, and it says Orioles double play savings. You have two options here, so you're going to get a bonus for my number one, uh, or my number five, rather. On the left-hand side, you have SK Oriole Franks buy one 16-ounce package at two forty nine and get one free. Did you just pull the music on me? I just pulled the music on you. Man, I had four other great sectional deals for you, Scott Magnus. I care about your finances. I care about the finances of our listeners. And frankly, it's about time that we start taking this podcast seriously. Sorry, we got a cease and desist letter from the Orioles <laughs> on that one. So um, we had to immediately stop. Um, so with that, Jake, 
Baltimore and Beyond, I have nothing else for you. Enjoy the baseball. It's good. I do, I do. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there, and let's go O's. What is it? Four for four dollars. Hostess packs? It's pretty good. You didn't even let me get to the pineapple. I was oh, really pineapple upside down cake too. No, just pineapple. There's pineapple. That's a great deal. Great See, deal. you should have listened. Should have listened. Oh well. Mars after dark. still here it's over go home go